And now this from the Matthew Gospel, chapter 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I also may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Be Have you ever played poker? My grandfather grew up part of his time with an aunt who was a Methodist who did not believe in playing cards at all. She taught him that playing cards leads to all kinds of bad choices. She said it leads to gambling and drinking and dancing, and we don't believe in any of that. So when he was living with her, he never played cards. But once he had opportunity to move out on his own, you might say it didn't quite take. He was a Methodist, but he liked playing cards. He would come to our house at holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and after we had had a big feast, the family together, and the table was clear, and the dishes were clean, inevitably someone would pull out a deck of cards and the little plastic poker chips we had, and everybody would gather around a table, and we would play poker. Now, I enjoyed playing poker. I'm not endorsing gambling, but I enjoyed it. We called it Penny Annie. We weren't really playing for money, but for chips. But even so, I was the kind of player that if I won a hand, I would just take those winnings and put them in my lap. I wanted to always hold a few chips back. I always wanted to make sure I ended the game better than how I had started. So I would hold a few of those back. But have you ever seen... These fellows who play poker on TV, the World Series of Poker, apparently it's a sport now, it's on ESPN quite often. But they play for tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. They sometimes, when they're playing, will take all of their chips, push them all to the middle, and say, I'm all in. That means they're betting all the money they have that they are right. They are betting all they have on the luck of the draw. I am not that kind of risk taker. I'm never, I don't think, going to push all my chips in hoping the next card is the one that comes up for me. But I have watched them a little bit. 
there is something attractive about that kind of commitment, that kind of boldness that they're ready to step out and say, I'm right, this is it, this is the time, I'm going full steam ahead. And as I thought about that, I thought there might be something I could learn in terms of boldness of faith. There might be something I could learn about my commitment to Christ by looking at how they get to that decision where they say, I'm all in. I wonder, is there anything on which I would bet everything? Is my faith in Christ even that sure is yours it's something to think about in this new year where we are in terms of our commitment to christ how bold are we ready to be in the new year i learned a little bit more about that kind of personality in a book i read over the holidays the title was the wisdom of psychopaths you heard me right the wisdom of psychopaths it kind of caught my attention when I was at the library a few weeks ago the subtitle was this what saints spies and serial killers can teach us about success I was almost scared to check it out but I was intrigued I've read the book now it's very interesting it's written by a guy from Oxford University in England dr. Kevin Dutton He's a research psychologist. He has studied this a lot. He wrote over 200 pages and quoted, I don't know, a hundred and some studies where they've looked at this. What he suggests is that all personality is on a continuum and that there are those criminally insane psychopaths that we think of when we hear the word, but there really is a whole psychological profile, according to psychologists, that have these characteristics that are under the heading psychopath, but without the desire to kill or maim somebody, he says they can be really helpful in some professions. He says, think about surgeons, particularly neurosurgeons, he says. They have to be able to concentrate for long periods of time, thinking of nothing else, pay attention to minute detail, have a sense of confidence that borders on ruthlessness, that they're doing the right thing. He said, if you have that combination, you have a great surgeon. If they're operating on your brain, you want someone that stays focused and has that ruthless, laser-like ability to move ahead. He said when they test them, they show up really strong as psychopaths, but they're using their skills in another arena, putting them to use for good. He says there's other groups that also show up really high on this scale. Navy SEALs, special operations kind of people, they're willing to go into situations and take risks most of us want nothing to do with. They train in ways that are so difficult that most of us would fall out. But he said, you know, when you need a group of guys like that, you look at their profile, it looks sort of like a psychopath, and yet they're using it for good in another arena. He says even most CEOs of large corporations show up the same way. Some lawyers show up the same way. 
he's done enough research that he says he can tell you, at least in England, what the top ten professions are that have this group of people that are willing to take risks, that have this laser-like focus, who can be ruthless. He starts listing what they are. It is CEOs of large corporations and lawyers and salespeople and police officers and things like that. But I was really surprised when I got down to number eight. Number eight said professional clergy. Pastors, in other words. He said a lot of us show up with some of those same characteristics, at least in England, that they find on this scale in terms of personality. He looks particularly at St. Paul. He said, remember... He was a fellow that was spending all of his time and energy going around capturing these people who said they were followers of this Messiah, putting them in jail and having them put to death. And he said, if you read the story of St. Paul through the different books of the New Testament, you see that he took risks that most other people wouldn't take. He was bold in ways others wouldn't be bold. He said things that others wouldn't say. He said, you find him being chased out of town, being stoned, being put in jail, being whipped. And yet he continued to move forward. He said that's the profile of someone who has some of these characteristics of a psychopath. And then he says he turns to use them for good in terms of spreading the gospel. He also draws a parallel between psychopaths and heroes. He talks about that most of us at some point in our lives will have a chance to take a step that would be considered a heroic act that we'll be put in a situation where we'll have to make a decision and be willing to take a risk to get a certain result he said now some of those of course are physical situations where someone has to act quickly and boldly and we recognize those readily as heroes but he said a lot of us experience it in a psychological challenge where we have opportunity to stand up for something we believe to stand up for someone else who perhaps needs some help, to make a statement about something we believe, even at the perhaps the cost of criticism from others. He talks about a discussion he has with another one of the psychologists, and this other fellow says it finally comes down to whether or not we're willing to act. It comes down to that moment whether or not we're willing to make a decision to act Despite what others might say, despite what other criticism we might receive, even if we have to stick our own neck out, if we're willing to act on something that we believe in strongly. That brings us back to this consideration today of commitment. How deep is your commitment? How far are you ready to follow Christ? John Wesley wrote a sermon called an almost Christian. And in the sermon, he's trying to describe the difference between what he calls an almost Christian and a real Christian. He says, oh, there's lots of people that mimic Christian behavior, but how many are really truly and fully devoted to being a follower of Jesus Christ? How many really fully, wholly trust in the grace of God and the direction and guidance of God in all that they say and do? Wesley tries to encourage the people of the 1700s to have a deeper commitment. He even confesses toward the end of the sermon that he feels like for most of his life, 
he has been an almost Christian. Yet he is calling on any who would listen to attend to a higher calling. I want to read you a few sentences that Wesley wrote. The great question of all then still remains. Is the love of God shed abroad in your heart? Can you cry out, my God and my all? Do you desire nothing but God? Are you happy in God? Is God your glory, your delight, your crown of rejoicing? Then he goes on without pausing to ask, And is this commandment written in your heart, that he who loves God loves his brother also? Do you then love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love every human, even your enemies, even the enemies of God as you love your own soul? As Christ loved you? Yea, do you believe that Christ loved you and gave himself for you? Or to put it in poker terms, are you all in? Are you fully committed to being a Christian? Sometimes I'm right there, I'm ready to go, send me out. Other times I feel like I'm sort of falling short and hesitating and kind of holding a few chips back just in case, kind of hedging my bets. But Matthew draws a portrait for us today in this story about the wise men of commitment. I tell you, I think these guys were really committed. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us very much about who they were. They're from the east. They're wise men. They bring gifts. He doesn't really tell us if they're Christians, if they continue to be followers of Christ, what the long-term impact of this visitation was. But I tell you, anybody who's willing to pick up and pack up and leave their country and travel cross-country into the heart of another country, probably by camel, but maybe on foot, I think is pretty committed. I'm impressed with this commitment portrayed here in Matthew 2. I think they are all in. I think they're betting everything they have that Jesus is the real deal. They come, Matthew says, to pay him homage or respect.